Wow, what a joy to be with you tonight. To be in Atlanta, of all places, like a dream come true. Um, like uh, Kathleen said, I'm Sister Anna Christie, and I'm here with Sister Mary Karen and Sister Gemma, who's coming, but here. Um, and yeah, I'm Sister of Life, and I, I actually, I mean, we all live in different, different continents, but um, I live at our mother house. And at our mother house, we have a, a long driveway that we've been planning to repay for quite some time. Um, and finally, this year it happened. You know, we saw God make like a decade-long dream uh, come true. So our, our regular priest chaplains were really excited about this, you know, driving in every day. Finally, no large potholes, you know? It's gonna be smooth, it's gonna be awesome. Well, in all actuality, some speed bumps were put in to our driveway. Um, you know, to prevent accidents, you know, two, two cars, you know, coming, um, two-way drive, um, not really room for two cars, and, um, and by some, I mean 12, <laughs> 12, you know, very discreet, significant speed bumps, you know, they don't, you don't know they're there to hit them kind of speed bumps, <laughs> and, you know, we know this because each of the priests chaplains that have come to celebrate Mass since have found very creative ways to weave in their thoughts about our new driveway into their homilies. So like, I had a great homily prepared until I hit that first speed bump and I lost my train of thought. And so on. But some of the sisters have, you know, reclaimed these speed bumps um, as praise bumps. You know, as they drive it, claiming, you know, God's invitation to just rest, you know, to to praise him for the little things to, you know, take time to notice. So, um, yeah, so really, I mean, that's what we're going to focus on today, not the driveway, um, but just, yeah, being made from and for love and, and how to really rest there. So, um, yeah, let's start with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Father, we thank you, we praise you for your goodness, for your love for us, for calling each of us here in this moment to be here, to receive your gift, your gift of love, the gift of your presence, the gift of your grace in our life in a new way. Yes, that you would speak your word to us tonight, Jesus. Amen. In the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. So, yeah, like St. Augustine said, you know, our hearts are restless, you, you, you've made us for yourself, O oh Lord, and our, and our hearts are restless unless they rest in you. And, you know, so it's important to ask ourselves where and how, how do we rest, you know? So today I just want to um, kind of stop on, um, just sit with three truths that we can really rest in. So one, I am infinitely loved. And two, God invites me to encounter him at every moment. And three, God desires my greatest joy, to rest in relationship with him. So first, I'm infinitely loved. You know, to be is to be loved. And this is our unchanging reality, our unchanging identity. So St. Francis of Assisi was you know, known for praying this prayer. Who are you and who am I? Who are you, most sweet God, and who am I? And gazing upon Jesus in the cross of San Damiano, you know, he discovered the answer. 
who am I? I'm loved. And all that God does, he speaks his eternal word over us. In the beginning of time, when God creates out of total emptiness, void, he brings everything that is quietly to life and speaks his word over it. It is good. <laughs> I love that when God, I love that God even takes time to affirm everything that he's made. You know, it is good. And yet it's not enough. He thirsts for man and he forms the human person and says, very good. Unlike anything else he's made, you know, he pours into man his own spirit, creating man after his own image. And you know this, you know, this is our story. But if that weren't enough, he sends his son, God, in the flesh to become like us in all things, you know, to step into our humanity, redeem us in his suffering, his death, his resurrection. But even still, he doesn't just thirst for humanity. He thirsts for you, your humanity, for your love, for your friendship. So you are so you're here, you know, breathing, thinking, being you. And there has never been, or will there ever be anyone like you? You know, you bring God unique and unrepeatable joy. Can't think about this enough. It's the truth. To be is to be loved, and, and that means you. So, um, Dr. Barabichini is one of our coworkers and a neonatologist in New York City. And um, in 2001, she started working with a team of medical professionals in high-risk pregnancy situations. So, you know, they would meet regularly, and you know, without a question or discussion, they would really respond to each of these different situations. Um, by advising abortion. And only Dr. Parabicini would advocate for the lives of these children. And on one day in particular, she was presented with a really difficult case. A 15-year-old mother and her 15-year-old boyfriend, pregnant with uh, conjoined twins, united at the heart, united at the, at the chest, so they shared a heart. And everybody knew that it would it would actually be impossible to save them. And on the day of the delivery, the operating room was filled with doctors, nurses, interns, med students, you know, and none of them there out of compassion, but really to, you know, out of curiosity to, you know, to see this spectacle, um, this rare freakish occurrence, and heartless comments were being made. But the murmuring hushed at the moment that these two twins were born. Little Keila and Kayla were born embracing each other, both weighing only a pound and a half. And the young father asked Dr. Piravicini if, if he could hold them. So he took his barely breathing daughters and said to them, don't be afraid, daddy's here. And silence filled the room, tears being shed. You know, a hush just fell over everybody there, and beauty just filled that room. And after a few moments, Dr. Pierricini asked the young father if he would like her to baptize his little ones. <laughs> and he said yes. So she began to make the sign of the cross over oh, on the first child. 
I baptize you, Kila. And the dad immediately says, stop, stop, wait. No, that's Kayla. This is Kila. <laughs> he knows us. He knows us. And it's in this relationship with our good father that it's this relationship that defines us, that claims us, that is the most secure place where we can rest. So, yeah, in, in our baptism, we receive the fullness of God's life in us. We become sharers in everything that belongs to God. But not only that, God comes to rest in us. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you know, Jesus himself says, we will come to him and make our home in him. So this communion of persons, <laughs> this indwelling trinity dwells in you and wants to come alive in and through the person that you are. And this relationship is just happening. It's happening in you. Um, and it's like the best kept secret, but it doesn't have to be. Um, one of our sisters in Denver had a friend named Andy. And Andy, you know, he's a sweet, kind sacristan at a parish that they would visit. And, and he has Down syndrome. And he was taking the sisters on a tour of the church one day <clears throat> and was just showing them around. And, and he was like, I hope you can understand me. I have Down syndrome. <laughs> and the sisters assured, assured him, we can understand you just fine, Andy. And so one of the sisters asks, Andy, do you pray? And he says, yes, every day. And she goes, you must be close to God. And he says, we're very close. And she says, would you say God is your best friend? And he goes, mm, no, we're more than friends. It's more like we're one. I'm in him, and he's in me, and we're one. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> you know, of course, the sisters added him, added all of our prayer intentions on that young mystic's list. <laughs> and, um, yeah, but I mean, but this is what he desires for us, for all of us, you know? We are one, you know? So I would encourage you to spend time allowing the Lord to speak this truth over your heart, uh, over your entire person, over all of the circumstances of your life, and, um, and to believe and immerse yourself in this communion of love that is actually always upholding you, always knowing you. So that's the first point. I'm infinitely loved. Mm, so now the second. So in this relationship of love, God invites me to encounter him at every moment. So it that means ultimately that I can receive reality my reality as a gift. And reality is the canvas where I need the living God. And it's in this encounter that we find the meaning of, of our lives that we are looking for. Um, John Paul II said at a vigil mass in a world youth day, it is Jesus, in fact, that you seek when you dream of happiness. He is waiting for you when nothing else satisfies you. He is the beauty to which you are so attracted. It is he who provokes you with that thirst for fullness that will not let you settle for compromise. It is he who urges you to shed the masks of a false life. It is he who reads your hearts, reads in your hearts your most genuine choices, the choices that others try to stifle. 
It is Jesus who stirs in you the desire to do something great with your love, with your lives, the will to follow an ideal, the refusal to allow yourselves to be grounded down mediocrity by mediocrity, and the courage to commit yourself humbly and patiently to improving yourselves in society, making the world more human and more fraternal. And God invites me, he invites you to encounter him at every moment. Once Mother Teresa was visiting an orphanage, you know, where there were many starving boys and girls, you know, and all these children in the orphanage were so thin, really skin and bones. So she walks into the room and she goes straight after this one boy. And he kind of tends to curl up his body and look and looks down, but she won't let him. She takes her face, you know, and gently raises it. He holds her face in, holds his face in her hands and, and lifts it to look directly into his eyes. You know, she's stroking his head just to get him to, to look into her eyes. You know, and it's clear that all she wants is to look and see Jesus and for Jesus and him to look at her. You know, and isn't that like all of us? You know, we're, the Lord does the same with all of us. We're sometimes like the starving boy was looking down at ourselves, our needs, our lives, and, and then he reaches down, you know, with his hands, scoops us up into his gaze. He invites us to gaze on him, and he desires to gaze upon us. And it's in this gaze, the gaze of his love, that we find the answer to all of our thirsts, all of our aches. You know, and this is the prayer that we can step into for the rest of our lives. One of our sisters was helping at a, a, a women's retreat with some of our moms and their children. So there was a little boy there with curly black hair, big blue eyes, and a radiant smile. And he wanted to go into the adoration chapel. So he steps aside, runs down the main aisle, you know, hops in the front pew, stands up on the kneeler, puts his hands in the air looks right at Jesus in the Eucharist and says, I want it, I want it, I want it. And really, yeah, me too. And faith is the doorway that opens our hearts to receiving and living in the truth. The faith is a gift, you know, that we have to ask for. We have to allow ourselves to hunger for this reality. I want it, I want it. And in Evangelium Vitae, the Gospel of Life, John Paul says, because we have been sent into the world as a people for life, our proclamation must also become a genuine celebration of the Gospel of Life. For this to happen, we need first of all to look, first of all to foster in ourselves and in others a contemplative outlook. Such an outlook arises from faith in the God of life who has created every individual as a wonder. It is the outlook of those who see life in its deeper meaning, who grasp its utter gratuitousness, its beauty, and its invitation to freedom and responsibility. It is the outlook of those who do not presume to take possession of reality, but instead accept it as a gift, discovering in all things 
the reflection of the creator, and seeing in every person his living image. Yeah, so I, I just want to focus, you know, unpacking this contemplative outlook a little bit on three things. So the first one, silence. And then being grounded in truth, and um, I forgot what the third one was. Living in the present moment. So, um, yeah, it's in silence. You know, it can be hard to hear the Lord uh, when we're having a constant monologue with ourselves. And silence really allows us to exchange that, that monologue to a real dialogue. You know, the monologue leaves us empty, <laughs> leaves us, you know, filled with anxiety and frustration. You know, but to really bring those things before the living God, the one who, who knows the, the very things we're carrying, even if we don't say them. So silence. And then I would say being grounded in the truth. So just like with music, you know, we know the difference between listening to a soundtrack of truth and listening to garbage. And our thoughts ultimately reveal what we believe in, where we rest, through our baptism, we truly become sons and daughters of God. And scripture says, and so we are. One of our sisters had uh, her family come up for her final vows. <laughs> Some of the sisters went to pick them up at the train station. And so they get on this escalator to go up to the main level. And the sister's brother, who is six foot four, 300 pounds, a football player, you know, carrying all of their luggage, you know, he gets on. And the escalator is like, it totally, completely stops. And sister's dad, who is already at the top of the escalator, is like, Greg, it's you, Greg, it's you. And Greg's like, it's not me, Dad. It's not me. <laughs> so he and everyone else proceed to climb up this frozen escalator with everything that they're carrying. <laughs> and then sure, you know, sure enough, as soon as he gets off, so I want to encourage, you know, a spiritual weight loss program today. <laughs> You know, to let go baggage of, you know, the lies that we carry about our identity by simply being aware of the thoughts that flow through our hearts. You know, we can live the authority we've been given through our baptism, already given, to claim truth and to reject falsehood. He wants to free you from the lie that you are too much or not enough, that your goodness depends on what you do, what you produce, what you achieve. Our thoughts become a springboard to freedom and to peace when we choose to really plant ourselves in the truth, the truth that you are good, that your life is a gift, always, that Jesus desires to take every burden that you carry upon himself and that he fights for you to heal you to redeem you to love you and to be grounded in the truth that his love is the way to the peace our hearts are made for 
St. Josephine Bakita, who was sold into slavery and suffered really horrendously at the, at the hands of her captors, after coming to know Christ, said, I am definitively loved. And whatever happens to me, I am awaited by this love. And so my life is good. And so now the third one, living in the present moment. God offers us grace in the present moment, in real time. So not living in the past or waiting for the future, you know, and, and the grace that he offers us is abundant and it's customized. It's actually customized for our, our good. Jean-Pierre de Quazade, I'm not French, um, but he's a French Jesuit priest, says, the present moment holds infinite riches beyond your wildest dreams. The will of God is manifest in each moment, an immense ocean in which the heart only fathoms insofar as it overflows with faith, trust, and love. And Brother Lawrence, you know, a lay brother who served as a cook in the Carmelite monastery says, in the way of God, love does everything. And it is not necessary to have great things to do. I turn my little omelet in the pan for the love of God. When everything ultimately is for us. And when we receive the reality before us as a gift, when we encounter the living God, we can stop resisting reality and embrace it in its uniqueness and its mystery. You know, like, like Moses before the burning bush, like Our Lady at the Annunciation. So, yeah, that was point two. God invites me to encounter him at every moment. So now the third God desires my greatest, your greatest joy, to rest in a union with him. So we have a deep desire to rest and rejoice in the good. And this rest is actually for communion. So I just want to look at two ways. You know, focusing on you know, how leisure and delight really open us up to this communion. I love leisure. <laughs> I can just talk about leisure with you forever. But um, one of our sisters recently shared that um, her niece, uh, who is two, going on three years old, is learning how to pray. And she was recently heard saying, Holy Mary, Mother of God, play with us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. <laughs> but really, in all honesty, you know, the devil hates two things. He hates when we pray, and he hates when we play. Um... And what's worse, you know, is when we pray and play together. Um, it drives them crazy. And so he tries to keep us from both of these things. We live in a culture that moves so fast, you know, that's constantly caught up in efficiency, multitasking, you know, the whole thing. And it can be easy to be caught up in viewing our worth and what we do and how we do it, our performance, or how others perceive us doing it maybe. You know, and, that, and that's exhausting. And so what is the remedy? Leisure. And what do I mean by that? You know, our culture poses rest as a quick fix from, you know, burnout, from constant busyness, or, you know, in the form of just simply vegging out the Netflix and binge. Um, but however, true leisure is different from taking a break for the sake of recharging to be able to do more work. 
And leisure is not really even uh, about an activity in and of itself at all. It's, like it's really a condition of the soul. And it's like, it's like the posture of kids, the posture of part of kids who could just spend hours blowing bubbles, you know, or being in a lazy river at a water park. It's amazing. Leisure allows us to see and enter into the world around us. So not a checking out, but really a checking in. You know, and, and our hearts depend on this. We actually need it. Leisure is not a luxury, it's a necessity. And without it, we are utterly restless. Joseph Pieper, a well-known German Catholic philosopher said, you know, when he speaks of leisure, you know, he called it the disposition of re receptive understanding of contemplative beholding and immersion in the real. So leisure is actually a virtue and it's the opposite of, um, of what we've, we, know, we know as, as like sloth or sloth or acedia. You know, and in its original context, it means something totally different than we really understand it today. And the Danish philosopher Kierkegaard describes acedia as actually a despair of weakness and a refusal to be oneself. A refusal to be oneself. And that leisure really is the opposite of acedia. Pieper says, is the cheerful affirmation by man of his own existence, of the world as a whole, and of God. So, you know, we see a CD in our culture mainly in two ways. You know, you have the workaholic, excessively, you know, in this excessive work cycle, and then you see the classic couch potato. You have both, you know, forms of a CD, just this overindulging and withdrawing, you know. But Pieper comments that leisure is not the attitude of one who intervenes, but of the one who actually opens himself. Not of someone who seizes, but of one who lets go, who lets himself go and go under. Almost as someone who falls asleep must let himself go. Because you cannot sleep unless you do. It's the surge of new life that flows out to us when we give ourselves to the contemplation of a blossoming rose, a sleeping child or of a divine mystery. Is this not the surge of light that comes from deep, dreamlessly? So it's a letting go. It's a spontaneous response of the heart, simply being, without controlling, without micromanaging, without evaluating. And as Sisters of Life, uh, we host hope and healing retreats for women who are suffering after the experience of abortion. And after one of these weekend retreats, uh, a woman, after going to confession, was seen doing cartwheels on a grassy knoll outside. In sheer joy, you know, spontaneously, she couldn't contain her delight. We witnessed this posture of, of simply being in the lives of the saints. St. Elizabeth Ann Seton, you know, experienced this kind of leisure just gazing at God's creation. She once wrote, I set off into the woods and soon found an outlet in a meadow, and a chestnut tree with rich moss underneath, and a warm sun overhead. The air still. 
a clear blue vault above. The numberless sounds of spring melody and joy fill the air. And my heart was made to be as innocent as a human heart could be. God was my father, my all. I prayed, sang hymns, cried, laughed. Then I laid still to enjoy the heavenly peace that came over my soul. And I am sure in the two hours so enjoyed, grew 10 years in the spiritual life. So the transcendental's truth, beauty, goodness, move us toward leisure. And we come alive when our hearts are really at leisure. Because at its core, leisure allows us to receive the present moment with all of its mystery and reality in its deepest context. St. Francis of Assisi, personal favorite, was really a man of leisure uh, who could enjoy everything that he experienced with a spirit of delight, knowing ultimately that everything in the created world was meant to lead him to the Father, that he had a good Father that was going to provide for him. So Mother Mary Frances, uh, a poor Claire, and uh, a spiritual daughter of St. Francis once wrote how, because St. Francis was so clean and uncluttered of heart, Francis had eyes to see the pleasurable, pleasurable things that busier men have no time to see. And he received things with an enthusiasm that often annoyed and disconcerted his brothers. Brother Maceo found it irritating that hungry Francis could feel so festal over odd bits of bread and a running stream. While Francis thrilled to the graciousness of God who had provided this rock as a table just beside the water supply in the stream, poor Maceo could not see anything but a flat stone. Furthermore, thought Maceo, the stone had always been there. It was just one more of those anyhows of life, not worth his attention. And so the two friars picnicked together, but only one had a thoroughly good time. It was probably safe to say that St. Francis would have also enjoyed wine instead of water, almond cakes instead of bread, but the important thing was that he could enjoy either one. So leisure and delight really transformed his vision and opened him to receive everything really as a gift with childlike wonder and trust. So, you know, this experience of leisure moves us to delight and it goes hand in hand with celebration. When God created the world, he rested on the eighth day in this joyful celebration of all that is. In the same way, leisure for man Keeper says, includes within itself a celebratory, approving, lingering gaze of the inner eye on the reality of creation. And we see this a lot in our visitation mission, where we accompany those who are pregnant and vulnerable to abortion. And though it might seem absolutely absurd, when a woman comes to us who is pregnant and in need, alone and discouraged, feeling like her entire world is, is being shattered, the first thing we do is invite her over and throw a tea party. It could seem like the worst possible moment, but um, a tea tray is prepared, you know, with special cookies. And we invite her to just sit back and um, really share 
everything that's on her heart, you know, to give her space to talk about her hopes and her dreams, and, you know, do what we call empty the bucket. And we find that in doing this, she is awakened to her goodness, her courage, and to hope. And she comes alive when she has this space to just unfold. So one fall, a pregnant woman and her mom came with us on a little outing to a, a camp that we have um, a little bit more north. I wouldn't call it north, but in New York. And um, just for a day of, of leisure, you know. So all day long, we didn't talk about our pregnancy. Instead, we picked apples in the orchard, went and saw the cows, and watched the sunset, enjoyed the countryside with her. And she went home refreshed and just surrounded by beauty. And when she got home, she tells her mom, I'm going to have this baby. The power of leisure and delight. She was awakened to her truest self and able to see beyond the fear, beyond the hopelessness. Yeah, so this delight really leads us to the authentic communion that we're made for. Paper says that leisure lives on affirmation. It's not simply inner quiet, but rather like the stillness in the conversation of lovers which is fed by their oneness. One day we received a call from a woman who was pregnant and in crisis, and she was being pressured to have an abortion. I call her Annie. Annie is extraordinary. She uh, grew up in the streets of Brooklyn and in an Irish-Italian neighborhood, and she had been baptized uh, and even made her first communion, but that was it. And she admitted that she wasn't the most outstanding pillar of the community and could give the NYPD a run for their money. And so she would come over for tea and let's just say it was different from her other weekly activities. But it was evident she actually had a deep longing for God. And one day Annie asks, Sister, how old are you? And Sister cleverly evades the question by telling her how the great wit and author G.K. Chesterton Chesterton would base his age on the last time he went to confession. Therefore, he was either eight minutes old or two weeks old, depending on the last time he was absolved. And Annie kind of laughed, but she was also fascinated by the concept that we could actually be made new through the sacraments. So then she said, nice job, nice job changing the subject, sister. I was born at night, but it wasn't last night. Cough it up. Sister was like, ah. you know. So a few days later, sister got a call from, from Annie and, you know, just trying to set up the next tea, tea date for her to come over. And just as she's about to hang up, Annie goes, oh, sister, by the way, I'm six hours old. And sister was like, not really putting two and two together. She's like, sorry? <laughs> and she says, yeah, I went to confession this morning. I'm six hours old. <laughs> it was her first time in confession in 20 years. And the priest who heard her confession stepped her, walked her through it step by step. And she goes, he wasn't, he wasn't shocked by any of my stories. 
sister was like, how did you feel when you walked out of there? And she goes, like the, whole, the weight of the whole world was lifted off my shoulders. I feel new. And in an instant, over 20 years of sin and shame were lifted from her. She knew it in the depths of her soul. When they hung up, sister rang a bell. We have many bells. And all the sisters came and joined. The angels in heaven, who I am sure were rejoicing and jumping up and down over this one soul. So their next tea day, they had a one-week-old birthday party. You know, birthday cake, candles, gifts, the happy birthday song. And it marked a new beginning. A restoration of her innocence. She knew that she was loved by God. No matter what she had done. That he had chosen her, saved her, restored her. And it allowed her to live in the freedom of this, of this communion. You know, so really taking time to celebrate at leisure and delight and behold the beautiful really helps live in the highest yet deepest part of our soul. You know, this could be as simple as taking a sketch pad outside and drawing something in nature that you find beautiful. You know, watching the sunrise, taking a contemplative walk, you know, to just admire God's handiwork. We're doing something, doing something for its own sake. Not to measure ourselves or perform or, yeah, or to finish our checklist. Listening to your favorite violin concerto, whatever it is. Because the lens through which you see the world is better than anyone else's Instagram. So I invite you to ask yourself, what moves me to a place of leisure? How am I being invited to live more humanly in a posture of leisure, of delight? Allow the Lord to let you rest in this beauty, you know, laying like in a spiritual hammock with Jesus. The Trinity. I know our men are here, you know, just with God. Immersed in the truth of our identity as chosen, claimed, loved. Yeah, so really, I mean, that's that's my word for you tonight. So as I would conclude, you know, just remember like the three the three things I really want to highlight. I'm infinitely loved. God invites me to encounter him at every moment. God desires my greatest joy to rest in relationship with him. So I encourage you, let yourself be loved. Let God encounter you where you are right now and in every moment. And let yourself rest in the leisure and of joy of relationship with him. And know that we're praying for you and it's really a gift to be with you.